you know, it seems like right now everyone's talking about staying safe. You know, it, it's almost to the point of where it's a common greeting. You know, when, when you part from someone to tell them, hey, stay safe. It's the thing that we're, we're hearing a lot about. As a culture, safety has become one of our highest values. Certainly, our increased focus on safety is the result of the amazing prosperity and unparalleled success that we experience as a culture. We have food and shelter like nowhere else. We have freedom like nowhere else. And so it's natural that we would also want safety, security, stability. I think it's kind of interesting that at some point in our history, others had to give up. They had to willingly give up security and stability in order to win for us the freedom and the prosperity and the success that we so enjoy. You know, Memorial Day, we remember those who, who paid that ultimate price for us. They embraced risk in order to gain the good things that we enjoy. The question these days seems to be, will, will our day, will our culture, will we lose what they gained as we seek after safety and security? That's the warning that many are declaring, that, that we're going to give up our, 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 our freedom for safety. And yet, if you stop and you think about this, Safety and security, they are very good things, <laughs> essential things. They are things we must pursue, and we would be foolish not to. I mean, what's, what's the good of prosperity and freedom if no one can enjoy it? Freedom without safety is anarchy. Prosperity without safety, it's just short-lived. Consciously or not, we have all had to weigh out these issues lately, haven't we? And, and many of us have come to different conclusions on how to best respond to, to all that's going on in the world right now. I want you to know this. It's okay. It's okay that we don't all come to the same conclusions. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, let me tell you two things that are indispensable. First, you and I, we have got to love each other. We have got to love each other whether or not we agree about what's going on out there or how we should respond to it. That is the command of Christ. We have got to love each other. And secondly, secondly, we've got to know the answer to one singular primary question, and that's this. Where do we truly find safety and security? Where do we really find safety and security? And I promise you, friends, I promise you, 
we do not find safety and security with us in control. <laughs> it, you know, it isn't humanity, whether in the singular or in the plural, limiting risk factors or embracing personal sovereignty. That is not where we are going to find security. Because life, life has this way of always bringing storms. It brings these storms that, that wipe out both our best designed protections and the illusion of our personal sovereignty. Things happen. Things happen that we cannot avoid, that we cannot protect ourselves against. Sickness, natural disasters, freak accidents. Regardless of what we call them, storms come. Sometimes we see them coming, maybe even from a long way off, and so we prepare and we brace ourselves. We hunker down. And yet no matter what we do, they still take a toll on us. Other times they catch us by surprise. And the shock of it can almost be as bad as the storm itself. But no matter who you are, no matter what you do, storms come. Whether you're rich or poor, wise or foolish, Saved or lost, storms come. The question isn't, will a storm come? The question is, since storms come again and again, how are you going to live? How are you going to choose to live your life in the midst of the world that we live in? Are you going to live in fear? Refuse to engage in life? Just play it safe. Try to, try to keep yourself secure. Let me tell you, the storms will still come. And they will overwhelm you. Oh, you could become the ultimate prepper. You know, you, you could make a plan for every possibility, a contingency for every potentiality. You might spend your whole life always embracing and preparing for the storm. And yet still... Eventually, a storm will come that you did not or could not prepare for. Others will choose to live on the edge. They're going to ride the storm, right? You know, they're, they're going to disregard the dangers. And by the way, they often die young or live broke, okay? And they, their lives are spent digging out from under the consequences of their choices. Because no matter what you do, Storms come. So what are we to do? What are we to do? How are we to live? Well, the answer, I think, is found in our passage for this morning. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, where we left off last week. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 22 and just take a couple of verses this morning, just 22 through 25. And so will you do this? Will you grab your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 8? I want you to follow along. I'll read our passage, and I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for the Word of God. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Here's what Luke writes. One day, he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and they were as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce storm came down on the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. 
They came and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're, we're going to die. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, Lord, that this morning in the midst of this time that you would speak to us. God, we know your word promises that you are here with us and that you are our teacher. And so, Lord, we invite you to teach us. Make us receptive soil to the seed of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus has been teaching ever bigger and bigger crowds. And the crowds have been very eager to hear all that he's had to say to them. And yet he has faced opposition. He's found opposition both in the religious leaders and then go figure from his own family. Both have called into question uh, not so much the things that Jesus has been teaching, the spiritual concepts, but really what they have been having a problem with is what Jesus has said about who he is. The religious leaders have said that Jesus, well, he's on the other team. He's in league with Satan. And his family, it seems, they accuse him of being out of his mind. Despite this, Jesus has continued to teach and to heal, to declare and to demonstrate the reality of his identity, that he is God in human flesh, that he is the Messiah come to save God's people. Where we pick up this morning in, in verse 22, we know from the other Gospels that Jesus has been just offshore, sitting in a boat, teaching parables to a crowd of people who had gathered along the shore. He would teach a parable to the people, and then he would explain it to his disciples. And so when he is done teaching, we read in verse 22 that he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And so they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. So Jesus and his disciples, they head out across the the, the Sea of Galilee across the lake. But this would end up being more than just a, a quick trip. It would be a test. You see, like any good teacher, having given his disciples truth, Jesus now gives them opportunity to put that truth into practice. Jesus has been perfectly clear. He is not just a teacher who is seeking to educate the people. He is not just a religious leader who is looking for adherence to his philosophy. He is God in human flesh, and what he wants is disciples. He wants disciples. He wants men and women who will build their lives upon him. He wants disciples who will live out 
the things that they say that they believe. Jesus has given his closest followers, these 12 disciples, he's given them not only further explanation of his parables, of his teachings, but he has also given them the ability to really know him day in and day out, day after day. They have had the ability to see the miracles, to hear the truths, and to experience it all firsthand, personally, up close. But what have they done with that? What have they done with that opportunity? How has it impacted them? Has the living truth that Jesus gave them, has it changed who they are? Or have they turned this living truth into an impotent and dead religious philosophy as something that they believe, but they only believe, well, theoretically? Well, the best way to find out What's in a sponge is to squeeze it, right? And the same thing is true of you and me. The quickest way to find out what's really going inside, on inside of us is to put us under some pressure and then to watch and see what comes out. <laughs> I like to excuse what comes out when I get squeezed. But in Matthew 15, there in verse 18, Jesus says that what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Dang it. I hate that. What comes out of my mouth, especially in, in unguarded moments, it reveals my heart. Well, let's, let's see what comes out of the disciples when they're squeezed. Look partway through verse 23. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake, and they were being swamped and were in danger. They came and woke him, saying, Master, we're going to die. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not overly large. It's 13 miles long at its longest and 8 miles wide at its widest. Yet, because it is located in the center of the Great Rift Valley, it sits almost 700 feet below sea level. And because it is surrounded by mountains, the largest of which is Mount Hermon at 9,200 feet above sea level, the, the Sea of Galilee ex often experiences sudden and violent storms. Understand how this works. The warm air, that low in the Great Rift Valley, as it heats up, it rises. And it draws the cold mountain air off of Mount Hermon and the Golan Heights. And it causes it to rush violently down these, these deep ravines. And it comes swirling out onto the lake, just dumping out without warning. Within moments, the Sea of Galilee can be transformed from a glassy surface to a raging cauldron with six-foot or larger waves. That's what happened. That's what happened that day when Jesus and his disciples were out for a quiet cruise across the lake. It quickly became a panicked fight to stay alive. 
The boat was filling with water. Their predicament was getting serious. It was, it was certainly more than they could handle. They were losing the battle. They were going to sink. Storms come. And often, they're bigger than we can handle. That's life. We shouldn't be surprised by that, really. Didn't Jesus warn us? Didn't he tell us that this is what we should expect in life? You know what he said. John 16, 33, right? Jesus said, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Jesus says that trials and troubles and tribulations, they're just a part of this life. But in the midst of that, even in the midst of the trials and the troubles and the tribulations, you and I, we can have hope. We can have hope because our, our Savior is the conquering one. He has conquered this world. He is Christ Jesus, our hope. Have you put your hope in Christ? I hope you have. I hope you have. You know, you really find out the reality of whether or not you've truly put your hope in Christ when you face a storm. You know, trust in Christ is purely theoretical until you find yourself in a really good crisis until you find yourself with a problem that you can't fix. Now, before we look at how it went with Jesus and his disciples, I want us to consider one more detail of what we've read here. Think about how distressing and confusing it must have been for the disciples in the midst of this, this terrible storm, to look there in the bow of the boat and to see Jesus sound asleep. Sound asleep amidst the storm. Now, sometimes we, we look at that and we think oh, in kind of a romantic way, oh, it must have just caused them to relax, to see the master at peace. No, I think it probably freaked them out. I think it probably freaked them out. Hey, judging by how they responded, you know, Mark tells us that they even accused Jesus, that they said, hey, don't you care that we're going to drown? They felt like their master was utterly unaware of their plight. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like God just didn't know what was going on in your life? Or worse, he didn't care. You ever felt like God just was detached from you and from whatever storm it was that you were going down in? Let me tell you this. 
even when it seems from our perspective that God is sleeping. He isn't. He isn't. He is ever vigilant. Ever vigilant. Always wakeful. Always interceding on our behalf. Let me remind you what Hebrews chapter 7 says. There, speaking of Jesus, it says that he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Do you understand what that's saying? Jesus is praying for you. <laughs> Don't you love it when someone prays for you? When someone, when someone cares enough about you in your circumstance that they pray for, Jesus is praying for you. I think we're supposed to take God's word literally, right? And it says that he always lives to intercede, that he is praying continually for you. Right now, the Savior is praying for you. He knows. He cares. We may not see it. We may not feel it. But Scripture tells us that Jesus is always with us, always for us, always interceding upon our behalf. He knows our situations. He knows our pain. He knows. And he cares. And we can take great, great comfort in that. And yet, if God knows, then there's something else we have to deal with, isn't there? <laughs> if God knows that we're suffering, then why does he allow it? If God knows what I'm going through, then why doesn't he do something about it? Well, Scripture says that God allows us to suffer. You won't like this because it's good for us. That's right. Suffering is good for us. It doesn't say it's pleasant, okay? It doesn't say it's fun, but it does say that it's good for us. Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what Paul says. He says, we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. It's good for us. Just so you know, Paul didn't think it was just good for you people. He thought it was good for him too. Listen to how he describes his circumstances. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you been there? Have you despaired of life itself? I've been there. I've been there. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, Paul says. But don't miss this. Don't miss what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, God, let us go through some horrific stuff. 
It broke us. It was more than we could handle. Next time someone tells you, hey, God will never give you more than you can handle, just slap them. Because I'm sure God would never allow them to experience anything they couldn't handle, like being slapped hard. <sighs> Don't do that, okay? That, that would be a wrong response. But know this, that's not true. God often gives us more than we can handle. Why? So that we'll quit handling it. So we'll start trusting in him and putting our faith in him instead. I'm pretty sure that the Lord brought his disciples into that storm on purpose. He didn't just get a bad weather report and blunder out there. He knew what was coming. He took them out there on purpose in order that he might show them that they did not yet truly trust him. Because that's what he wants. He wants us to truly trust him. That's what he's after. He wants us to trust him in the midst of not just Sunday morning, not just in the midst of normal life, but no matter what comes. No matter what comes, he wants us to trust in him. Well, as that storm began to overwhelm their little boat, they woke Jesus, believing, as they said, that they were going to die. I mean, they thought this was it. it, it it's all over. And they really wondered. They wondered if God cared. They asked Jesus, don't you care? They were about to drown. And you and I, unfortunately, we get that. We felt like that at some point in our lives. That moment when everything has gone wrong, when you're sinking, you, don't, you feel like God just doesn't care. He's absent. He, he's unaware. You cry out to God, God, if you loved me, you would not let me go through this. God, if you loved me, I wouldn't be about to sink. God, if you loved me, you'd do what I've asked you to do. You would at least do something. Isn't that how we feel when we're hurting, when we're afraid? What we can't see in that moment is that it's because he does love us that he lets us experience the storm. Elizabeth Elliot put it this way, God is God. And since he is God, he is worthy of my worship and service. I will find rest nowhere else but in his will. And that will is necessarily, infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. What Elliot is saying is that since he's God, we shouldn't expect to always understand his ways. You're not always going to understand what God is doing. Paul puts it this way in Romans 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. I, I love that passage. I think so often when we read it or, or when we quote it, we say it as if it's this, oh, this wonderful thing. 
No, 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 this is the thing that makes you irritated about God. This is the thing that drives you crazy. You don't get him. You don't understand him, and you can't because he's God, and you're not. We can't, and we won't always understand what it is that God is doing. But let me tell you this. You can trust him. You can trust him. His ways may be beyond our understanding, but his wisdom and his love for us is unquestionable. Jeremiah says this, just in passing in Lamentations 3, he refers to the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. We can know that he loves us. Understand this about the disciples out in the boat and about you and me out in the midst of whatever storms we face. The test isn't the storm. The test isn't the deep water. It's not the sinking boat. The real test is our response. Will we look to Christ? Will we obey him even in the storm? Will we trust him? Or will we only trust ourselves? You see, that is the temptation in the midst of the trial. Storms come. Hey, everyone at some point is hit by them. The question is, in the midst of the messiness of the storm, will we choose to trust Jesus? Will we choose to trust him? The storms we experience will often be far beyond our ability to manage. But let me promise you this, because God's word promises us. The temptation to not trust the Lord in the midst of it all, that is never more than we can resist. How do I know that? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. In other words, though we may not be able to handle the storm, we can always turn to Jesus, okay? The storms will come that will overwhelm you, but you can always turn to the Savior. The storm, the trial, it will, it will overwhelm us, but we never have to give in to the temptation To fail to trust Jesus. We can always look to him, even in the most furious of storms. Someone might ask, why should we trust him? Why should we trust this Jesus? Well, look back into Luke 8. Look there partway through verse 24. Then he, that is Jesus, got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. 
so they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Jesus wakes up. He simply commands the wind and the waves, and they stop. <laughs> wow. Instantaneously. Immediately. It wasn't like a half hour later the storm passed. The wind ceases. The water becomes flat and still. In the blink of an eye, chaos becomes tranquility. And then suddenly in that silent moment, when all you can hear is the disciples breathing, Jesus says, Where's your faith? You know, often the storm exposes us. It exposes that we've misplaced our faith. I don't mean that we've lost our faith like we can lose our keys. I mean we've put our faith in the wrong place. The disciples might have put their trust in their boat, and they might have put their faith in their strength and their, their ability as seamen. But those things were unworthy of their faith because those were things that could be overwhelmed by the storm. Jesus calmed the storm so that the disciples could see clearly where or actually in whom they should be placing their faith. I think they got it. I think they understood. Uh, look at the end of our passage. Partway through verse 25, they were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. You see, the question in their mind wasn't what happened, but who is this? Who, who is this Jesus? Now, he does answer that question for them, and not here. Uh, John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Revelation 1, 8, he says, I am the alpha and the omega. He is the king. He is our God. He is our savior. He is the only one who is worthy of our faith. Storms will come. That's life. The wind will howl. The waves will crash. And sometimes we will fear that we are about to sink. What can you do? Well, you turn to Christ. You can trust in him. You can remember that it was Jesus who said, I will never leave you or abandon you. He will never forsake us. And understand this, it's through these storms. It's through hardship and suffering, through these various challenges that we face in life, that he grows us and he teaches us and he draws us into trusting him.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's hard to be sincere, but we thank you for the storms. Even for this storm that we are in today. We thank you for opportunity to trust you, to grow in confidence and in faith in you, to become more and more aware of these, these places that we put our faith that we shouldn't, mostly in ourselves. Father, we ask that you would make us people who trust you, who depend upon you, who live our lives in a way that just won't work if you don't show up, who are building our lives on Jesus. Draw us to yourself, Lord. Work in us. Work in the midst of this storm. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.